Thanks for tuning in. I'm Renee. And I'm Shelby. And you're listening to The Creepy Burrito Christmas Edition. Happy holidays to you creepy burritos out there. Hopefully you had a happy Hanukkah and we'll have a great Christmas and or Kwanzaa. And if you don't celebrate the holidays, well, thank fuck 2020 is almost over, huh? (laughs) Right? What a year. But it's not over yet. And keeping with our theme for this month, we have another installment of Holiday Horror. But before we do, we wanted to give a quick shout out to Cody who very generously donated 10 burritos to our laptop fund. Thank you, Cody. Fuck yeah, Cody. Hell yeah, Cody. (laughs) Way to be the best, Cody. If you want to be like Cody, you can send some burritos this way at buymeacoffee.com slash creepy burrito. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. (laughs) And with the New Year's approaching... Everyone looks to make some New Year's resolutions. So what's our resolution? To give you guys the best podcast that you deserve. We will be hosting a live event on Facebook January 13th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Be there or be square. You get a sneak peek at the faces behind the mic. Since we've been pretty mysterious... You guys don't know us personally. We haven't really revealed what we look like. So I might be a demon. I might have horns, a little bit of a tail. Mm, Who knows? I'm a sea urchin. Yeah. (laughs) We just have a tank here. A little (laughs) undercover (laughs) mic. Oh, that's so cute. You're such a cute little puffer fish. (laughs) And then you just poof out when you're mad. Yeah. You'll get to see us in our natural habitat, whether that's in an aquarium or not. Who fucking knows? You'll know if you tune in. I can tell you this. I will probably be on a couch. We're probably going to have some Taco Bell. And you might get a glimpse of my doggos. Mm-hmm. And maybe we'll uh, have a little bit of wine. Get a bit loosey-goosey with it. But this is your chance to let us know what you like, what you don't like, what you would like to see us do in the future. Ask us some questions. We'll be doing a Q&A, so start sending those beefy questions to us at thecreepyburrito at gmail.com or on Facebook. Or just catch us live and send some live comments in and we'll answer them right then and there for your faces to enjoy. Fuck yeah. It doesn't even have to be about the podcast. You can ask us uh, any questions you like. Ask me which favorite toe I have. Is it the third one? It's the third one. I fucking knew it. (laughs) So we're super fucking pumped for it. Hell yeah. Now, let's go ahead and take a bite out of today's burrito sode, shall we? Mmm, we shall. (laughs) On the night of December 24th, 2008, Joseph, or Papa Joe Ortega, and his wife of 53 years, Alicia Ortega, were planning a nice Christmas Eve dinner for 25 in their home in Covina, California. What a quaint little Christmas (laughs) Eve dinner, 25? Mm Mm-hmm. 
That's a big-ass dinner. They invited all five of their adult children and their families, including their two oldest sons, James and Charles, and their daughters, Letitia, Alicia, and Sylvia. Joseph and Alicia loved Christmas, and it was their favorite time of year. They wanted to make sure everyone was going to have a wonderful time that night, especially their daughter, Sylvia. Sylvia, in particular, had a rough year. She had separated from her husband earlier that year and just finalized her divorce the week prior on December 18th. Sylvia was married to 45-year-old Bruce Pardo, and they had a pretty contentious separation. Unsurprisingly, though, because this Bruce guy was a Class A douchebag. Bruce was born in Los Angeles, California, and by all accounts, he was a pretty smart guy. He attended college to study computer science, and once he graduated, he landed a pretty decent job as a software engineer at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, which is partnered with fucking NASA to make, like, spacecrafts and shit, so, like, super cool. But apparently not cool enough for Bruce, because he reportedly wasn't a great employee. He would miss work all the time, and during the times that he did go, he would spend hacking into their system instead to nose around and learn his co-workers' salaries. So... <gasps> Shady AF. Rude. Mm -hmm. Not long after his employment there, and probably not long after finding out her salary, Bruce started dating his co-worker Delia, and at just the age of 24 years old, Bruce proposed to her. Bruce was still living at his mother's house, and even with his well-paying job, was still broke, but Delia accepted anyway, and she actually ended up paying for everything herself. Not only did she pay for the entire wedding of 250 guests, Ooh. she also paid for the entire honeymoon as well, which was a trip to Tahiti. So, not cheap. She did all of this planning and all of this preparation to finally come to the day of June 17th, 1989, where she was to marry Bruce. But Bruce had other plans. This douchebag decided to not only stand her up at the altar, but also drain $3,000 out of their joint bank account and booked a solo vacation trip to Florida for himself. No. Yep. That's fucking unbelievable. That's yeah. like top level, top notch douchebaggery. Yeah. No one knows why he decided to just bail out on Delia. I assume it's because of his degree in douchebaggery, but nonetheless, I'm sure she was devastated. So years later in 2001, at the age of 37, Bruce started dating this other woman named Elena. Their relationship was pretty solid and eventually they had a baby together named Matthew. Shortly after New Year's one day, Bruce was home alone with one-year-old Matthew while Elena was out grocery shopping. Elena had entrusted Bruce to keep an eye on Matthew. But instead, Bruce decided to keep his eyes on the TV. And unfortunately, that day, under Bruce's care, Matthew fell into their pool in the backyard. Oh, no. Now, Matthew, he did survive because eventually Bruce went out to look for his son and found out that he had fallen in. And Matthew was taken to the hospital and was admitted into the ICU and stayed there for about a week. But unfortunately, it became apparent that Matthew suffered significant brain damage. So much so that Matthew actually became a paraplegic and would never be able to walk. Oh At one years old. Oh my god! Paraplegic. Now, if Bruce hadn't already received the highest of douchebag awards, this one really seals the deal. Because it was at this point that Bruce decided to peace out on his fucking newly paraplegic son and long-term girlfriend. Literally, just up and left, never to see them again. <gasps> fucking fucked, right? Oh, that's fucked. Yeah. Oh my god. So, 
fast forward a few years later in 2004, 41-year-old Bruce was introduced to a co-worker, 40-year-old administrative assistant Sylvia Ortega. And within two years, the couple married on January 29th, 2006. And at first, their marriage was great. They bought a $450,000 house together in Montrose, California. They bought an Akita, which they named Saki. Bruce regularly attended church with Sylvia and warmly accepted her three children into his life. Now, Sylvia was married before, twice, actually. She had her two oldest children from her first marriage, but unfortunately, her husband was killed in a car accident and was left a widow. Years later, she met another man and fell in love. They married and she had her third child, but eventually the marriage went south and she ended up in divorce. So Sylvia was hopeful that Bruce was finally gonna be the one to grow old with, but there were some red flags in the relationship. Probably because he's a fucking douchebag. <laughs> like, I don't understand how people get worse with age. Mm -hmm. Like, seriously, dude. So Bruce was terrible with his finances and refused to open a joint checking account with Sylvia. And furthermore, he expected her to take care of her three children with her own money, even though they were married. Sylvia, though, was willing to look past all of this, but everything came to a head during a conversation she had with Bruce's mother, Nancy. Sylvia was confiding in Nancy about Bruce's financial troubles when Nancy brought up Bruce's son, Matthew. Now, Sylvia was completely shocked, as she had no idea Bruce even had a kid, let alone one that he so carelessly left unattended, which directly resulted in his terrible accident, and then fucking abandoned him. And to make matters worse, shortly after this newfound knowledge, a letter from the IRS showed up, addressed to them in the mail, which included information about how Bruce had been claiming Matthew as a dependent for years. Yeah, like this motherfucker literally crippled and abandoned his son, hadn't seen, talked to, or even paid for him for years, and was still trying to get a tax break off of him. That's so unbelievably shitty class a douchebag like that's fucking ridiculous yeah so obviously after this sylvia knew she couldn't trust bruce nor was he anyone that she wanted to be with so she told bruce in early march of 2008 that she wanted to separate but hoping that they could remain amicable she asked bruce if she could stay in the home while her daughter finished the last few months of kindergarten instead bruce decided to toss all her belongings on the driveway one day when sylvia was out at her niece's birthday party so in april of 2008 only about two years after their marriage sylvia hired attorney scott nord filed for divorce and moved in with her sister in glendale california so as i mentioned sylvia and bruce's divorce was finalized on december 18th 2008 the whole process had obviously been a lot for Sylvia and her children, so Joseph and Alicia were determined to make the upcoming holiday a good one for them. After the annual Christmas Eve dinner, Joseph and Alicia sat down with Sylvia and their other adult children to play a late night game of poker, while the grandchildren played video games or hung out near the backyard pool, while the oldest grandson, 17-year-old Michael, was away by himself at a computer on the second floor. Everyone had a great time that night. The party was starting to dwindle down. The family gathered around the front door to say their goodbyes, as families normally do, when approximately 11 p.m., there was a knock at the front door. Eight-year-old Katrina Yusufpolsky peeked out the window and excitedly yelled out, Santa Claus, Santa Claus. And when the Ortegas opened the front door, sure enough, standing there was Santa Claus. 
with a largely wrapped Christmas present. Oh, no. I don't Spoiler like alert. This was not just a neighbor or a friend visiting dressed up like Santa. It was Bruce Pardo. And it was at this point where Bruce reached an unparalleled level of douchebaggery. Right before Katrina reached him, Bruce pulled out a 9mm semi-automatic handgun and immediately shot his 8-year-old niece in the face. <gasps> then started indiscriminately firing at fleeing partygoers. Reportedly during the attack, James and Charles Ortega, Sylvia's brothers, tried to take down Bruce. But Bruce was a big guy. He was about 6 feet 4 inches tall and weighed about 275 pounds. So they were easily overpowered. However, it was at this point that Charles Ortega realized who he was fighting with and loudly shouted to his family, it's Bruce, before promptly being shot again and then killed. Oh no. So the Ortegas and three of their daughters, including Sylvia, dived under the dining room table for cover and others had ran elsewhere to hide. Like it was completely insane at this moment. Everyone was just scattering everywhere. It was at this point that Letitia, Sylvia's sister, saw her daughter, eight-year-old Katrina, who was shot, staggering out of the house. Although Bruce shot Katrina in the face, she actually saved herself by turning her head at the last moment, making the bullet strike her alongside of her jaw. And thankfully, Katrina, she did survive the incident. So, okay. but how fucking traumatizing, right? Like, that's terrifying. You're eight years old. You still believe in Santa, and you still love Christmas. Mm -hmm. She was so excited, and then was shot yeah. in the fucking face. Right. And like, she was probably having a great time, right. opening presents, playing with family. It's fucking. Oh, it's it's the fucking up. worst. Yeah. This is when Letitia and Irma Chapa Ortega, a first cousin, decided to make a break for it. So Letitia and Irma grabbed Katrina and ran to a neighbor's house and immediately called 911. Hello, hello. Hi. Luckily, Letitia and her husband, Irma and Katrina, and most of the younger kids were able to escape, including a 16-year-old girl who was shot in the back. But others were not so lucky. Bruce was also carrying three additional semi-automatic handguns, and the police speculate that he used them as he stood over and, like, point-blank executioned some of the family, including Joseph and Alicia Ortega and their two daughters and one of their daughter-in-laws hiding under the table. But Bruce wasn't done with his murderous rampage. After he was finished shooting, Bruce grabbed the large present he carried and unwrapped it. Inside was a homemade flamethrower, and he used it to spray racing fuel gasoline everywhere to set the home ablaze. Oh. My. 
god. Yeah. The fact, okay, what makes it worse than anything, like, worse than being a person that is going to someone's house on Christmas Eve at a party to kill everybody is the fact of how he dressed up like Santa, number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, took the time to make a flamethrower, then wrap it Mm -hmm. like a Christmas present to yourself and then open it as a gift to yourself. Yeah. That is the highest level of douchebaggery mm-hmm. I have ever heard of in my life. This guy's got a PhD. <laughs> D is for douche. D is for douche. <laughs> so, um, and I read somewhere that he used racing fuel because apparently it has a higher octane, so mm-hmm. it's able to catch fire quicker. So that's why he chose that particular fuel, but... Um, when people started, when, when people were hiding in the house and they started to realize that the house was now on fucking fire, the remaining family members tried to escape and they got out, including a 20 year old woman who broke her ankle jumping out of the second story floor window. (sighs) Unfortunately, Michael, the 17 year old who was sitting at the computer on the second floor, unfortunately died in the fire. Police said that he was killed by an explosion started by two tanks that Bruce had fused together to try to engulf the home quicker. However, he was the only miner that died during the attack. So the fire completely took over the house, soared to approximately 40 to 50 feet high, and when the fire department and police arrived at the scene, it was total chaos. One lieutenant even said, when I arrived, to describe it as apocalyptic would be accurate. The fire took about 80 firefighters to control and over an hour and a half to extinguish. Nine bodies were recovered from the rubble, but due to the intensity of the fire, they were only able to be identified with dental and medical records. Now, the nine bodies were identified as 43-year-old Sylvia Pardo, Bruce's ex-wife, 70-year-old Alicia Ortega, Sylvia's mother, 80-year-old Joseph Ortega, Sylvia's father, 50-year-old Charles Ortega, Sylvia's brother, 45-year-old Sherry Ortega, Charles Ortega's wife, 52-year-old James, or Junior, Ortega, Sylvia's brother, 51-year-old Teresa Ortega, James Ortega's wife, 46-year-old Alicia Ortiz, Sylvia's sister, and 17-year-old Michael Ortiz, Sylvia's nephew and Alicia's son. As the house burned, investigators found a pair of fake glasses and a Santa's cap that had been dropped in the front yard. When they started speaking to neighbors, they discovered that Bruce had changed into regular clothing and was spotted leaving the scene in a blue Dodge Caliber with its headlights off. Police put out an APV, and it wasn't long before they received a call, but it wasn't the one that they had expected. The call was from Bruce's brother, Brad. He was out at a Christmas party, and when he returned home at 3.10 a.m., he found Bruce's body sprawled on the living room couch. Bruce had shot himself in the mouth. He couldn't just start with this step? That wasn't the option? (laughs) So Bruce Pardo had driven 30 miles from the scene of the crime to his brother's house to commit suicide like a fucking coward. When investigators went to Brad's house, where Bruce was found dead, they found the same car that he was reported leaving in and began searching it. Inside the vehicle, police found thousands of rounds of ammunition and a Santa suit. And the car had actually been booby-trapped to explode once the Santa suit was removed. And even though the vehicle exploded, thankfully no one was injured. Police had then started digging a little deeper into what Bruce's motive could have been. Obviously, right off the bat, they discovered the divorce. 
but friends and family members of Bruce's were more than shocked to find out what he did. Although he seemed sad about what was going on, by his actions, people thought that he had accepted the breakup. But there was much more behind the divorce than Bruce had let on. On June 18th, 2008, Bruce was ordered to pay $1,785 a month in spousal support to Sylvia. And unsurprisingly, since Bruce sucks at finances, his first check went through, but the second one bounced. During the divorce proceedings, Bruce had confided in a friend that his wife was taking him to the cleaners. And according to court documents, Bruce complained that Sylvia was living with her parents, not paying rent, had spent lavishly on a luxury car, gambling trips to Las Vegas, meals at fine restaurants, massages, and golf lessons. Bruce was also required to pay Sylvia $10,000 as part of the divorce settlement, and Sylvia was able to keep her diamond engagement ring and the family dog, Saki. It was clear to Bruce that he wasn't going to be able to afford any of this. So what's his plan? Commit a little fraud at his job. Oh, I thought you were going to say that he, like, stole his uh, Michael's identity, like, his first baby's identity, no. because that would really be... That would just set the way. Right yeah, there. that would be the cherry on top of the, the fucking Sunday right there. No, he actually decided to commit a little fraud. At this point, he left his job at JPL and was working as an engineer for ITT Radar Systems in Van Nuys, California, earning... You ready for this? Mm-hmm. About $122,000 a year. Damn. So like, yeah, okay, buddy, you can't fucking afford any of this. Anyway, Bruce had been fraudulently claiming hours on his time card that he didn't actually work so he can get more money in a sense to soften the blow from all these court-ordered payments. However, Bruce's employer quickly caught on and on July 31st, 2008, just about a month after these payments were ordered by the court, he was fired. He then tried to apply for unemployment, but wasn't eligible because his dumbass was fired and his application was denied. So it was very obvious that Bruce had a clear motive. In his eyes, his ex-wife was not only taking all of his money, but was now the reason why he was fired and receiving no income. It was pretty clear that this entire event was a very calculated crime, but when police dug even further, they found out just how calculated it was. So back on June 13th, just five days prior to his appearance at court, Bruce had driven to Burbank, California, and walked into Gun World and paid $999.95 in cash for a big sour 9mm handgun. On August 8th, a week after he was fired, Bruce was back at Gun World to buy another big Sawyer 9mm handgun. A month later, on September 8th, Bruce bought a third from the same store, returned on October 11th for a fourth, and again on November 13th for a fifth. Homeboy can't make his court payments, but he can spend about 5K in guns, though. I was about to say that, like, yeah. buddy, like, this is probably where your it's problems half, are coming from. Like, half of the, the 10K that he was ordered to pay was right there in guns. Alone. <laughs> but it gets worse. On September 8th, Bruce picked up the phone and called his neighbor, Jerry Dioit, owner of Jerry's Costumes. He ordered a custom-made Santa Claus suit from her, saying that it was for a children's party in December. What a fucking asshole. Uh He gave Jerry his measurements, but specifically asked her, 
to have a little extra room in the suit. So this bitch mm-hmm. couldn't even get a Santa suit off the rack. <laughs> he had to spend the money mm-hmm. to get a custom-made Santa suit. Yep. Dude, people don't even do that when they actually are Santa well, for, like, malls and children and so wear it multiple times. And I, this fucker is getting a custom-made Santa suit. I read online that people speculate his reasoning to get a custom-made one was because he was so big. He was, like, six foot four and almost 300 pounds. Yeah. But I feel like, At I that know. point, it doesn't matter if you're either, A, going to prison or... B, you're fucking killing everybody, yeah. so I don't think they're going to be worried about yeah. how your suit fits. <laughs> right. Regardless, Bruce dropped off a $200 deposit and planned to return in November when the suit was finished. A few weeks later, Bruce actually received a call from one of his high school friends, Steve. Steve had moved away to Iowa, married, had kids, and hadn't been in touch with Bruce for a number of years but was planning a huge 45th birthday party and wanted to know if Bruce could fly out to celebrate, to which Bruce said yes. When Bruce arrived, he told Steve about the divorce. Steve said that Bruce seemed pretty embarrassed that his personal life was on public display in divorce court and said that he and his mother were barely speaking and that she even sat with Sylvia's family at the divorce hearings. But for the most part, Bruce seemed to be in good spirits and enjoyed Steve and his family's company. Bruce helped the kids with their algebra homework, and when he left town, he left seven $1 bills under Steve's nine-year-old son's pillow. But while he seemed in good spirits, Bruce still decided to go and buy 16 handgun magazines while in Iowa, each of which held 18 bullets, eight more than what is allowed in magazines sold in California. And when Bruce arrived back home in California, he paid the remaining $100 to pick up his Santa suit from Jerry, and actually tipped her 20 extra bucks. The day after the divorce was finalized on December 19th, Bruce called Steve back up to ask if he could come back and visit for Christmas. Steve had felt bad since Bruce no longer had a wife and was not in good standing with his mother, so he agreed to spend the holidays together. The Friday before Christmas, Bruce contacted a travel agency to price a plane ticket to visit Steve's family. He returned to the agency the following Monday and paid $650 in cash for a round-trip ticket to Moline, Illinois, which was the closest airport to Steve's home. He then called Steve to inform him of his plans. He was to depart at 12.20 a.m. on Christmas Day and would catch a returning flight two weeks later. In the days leading up to Christmas, Bruce had rented both a blue Dodge Caliber and a silver Toyota RAV4. However, neither of these cars were rented for pickup during his trip to Iowa. They were both rented for pickup in California. On the day of Christmas Eve, he called Steve again. Steve recounts that Bruce sounded down, but said that he'd see them the next day and had even asked to borrow some warm clothing during the trip. Bruce had signed up to be an usher during a midnight mass at Holy Redeemer Catholic Church. Bruce then made plans with his brother Brad to be picked up for the Christmas party that Brad went to, and Bruce even put up Christmas lights. Outwardly, everything seemed fine and normal with Bruce. No one had the faintest idea of what he was planning, and I think that's why some people were so shocked. Even Bruce's neighbor, Bong Garcia, who had seen him leaving that night, said Bruce was 
just the same as always. He didn't seem like he was mad or anything. Garcia said that he stepped out onto his porch with his nephew to smoke a cigarette, and Bruce walked by, greeted them, and said he was off to a Christmas party. It was no big deal, just a regular encounter. The only thing that was off about it was when he watched Bruce walk down the street to get into a blue Dodge Caliber, leaving his black Cadillac Escalade and his white Hummer in the driveway. Shortly after, around 10 p.m., Brad arrived to get Bruce for the Christmas party, but obviously wasn't home, so he ended up leaving. And then at about 11.27, the first 911 call from Covina was logged. When investigators searched Bruce's home in Montrose, California, they recovered the five empty boxes for the semi-automatic handguns, a Benelli M2 tactical shotgun, and a container for high-octane fuel gasoline. They also found what they described as a virtual bomb factory inside of his home. Once Bruce's autopsy was finished, it was revealed that he had a trace amount of cocaine in his body, and it was also revealed that he had horrific third-degree burns on his hands, arms, and legs. Turns out, this idiot got a little taste of karma that night. Although his Santa suit was custom-made, it was highly flammable. (laughs) And thanks to his choice of high-octane gas, two explosions happened while he was inside of the house, causing large chunks of the polyester Santa suit to catch on fire, melt, and adhere to his skin. When Bruce left the scene, he was partially melted into a Santa Claus suit. So when he drove 30 miles to his brother's house, he suffered the whole way. Mm, Good. They also found about $17,000 in cash cling wrapped on his legs inside of a girdle. (gasps) That stupid, Mm -hmm. selfish Mm -hmm. piece Mm -hmm. of shit. Around the same time Bruce's autopsy report came back, Police received a call from a man who reported a mysterious car parked in front of his Pasadena home. When police ran the plates, they found that this was the Toyota RAV4 that had been rented by Bruce Pardo. Inside the car, they found maps of the southwestern U.S. and Mexico. They also found the car was packed with water, food, clothing, a can of gasoline, and both a laptop and desktop computer. They also soon realized that this RAV4 was parked conveniently close to the home of Scott Nord, the attorney who handled Sylvia Pardo's divorce case. And this is when the theory started coming together of exactly what Bruce had planned that night. So the working theory is that Bruce intended to drive the Dodge Caliber to the Ortega residence and carry out his plan, maybe even hoping that his own mother would be there, Then afterwards, drive the Dodge Caliber to the home of attorney Scott Nord to kill him. Then he would dump the booby-trapped Dodge Caliber and hop into the rented Toyota RAV4 to make a break for the border. Investigators don't believe that Bruce had any intention on going to Iowa to visit his friend and that it was merely just a decoy plan to throw police off. But Bruce didn't account for suffering third-degree burns, so decided to go against the initial plan. Bruce knew that there was no way he was going to be able to survive without medical attention, and that there was no way he would be able to go to a hospital to get the attention he needed without being caught. And he was probably in so much agony that trying to make a run for the border was out of the question. So Bruce decided to drive to his brother's home, where he knew no one would be, to bring an end to it all. 
But police are almost certain that suicide wasn't part of his initial plan, which I can agree with given all of those facts. It's evident that Bruce had been planning this murderous rampage for months in advance. However, even with the copious amounts of planning that went into this heinous plot, he wasn't able to pull it off all the way. It's just unfortunate how many lives were lost before his plan came crashing down. Letitia was the only immediate surviving family member and actually was on Oprah back in 2016, which I believe was the first time she ever really spoke out about the event. And she said, I can't do anything to change what happened. I can only focus on the future and I can only focus on what's being brought to me and the good things that are being brought to me. I appreciate that. That's what I think has helped me have more peace. Really having the gratitude for the love that has been brought to our family from people we didn't even know. This is what he's done. Enough. I'm not going to allow you to continue to consume us with your evilness. You don't want that anger to live within you day to day and grow, just like it did with this monster. Bruce Pardo was a monster, all right. He killed nine people that night, but left countless others affected in the aftermath, including leaving 13 young children orphaned. He killed off a loving, tight-knit family for no other reason than his own selfish actions that put him in the position he was in. But through all the trauma that this family suffered came a closeness and a bond that could never be broken. This family is one of the strongest that I have ever seen they speak out about gun violence. They reach out to and support other families that have experienced similar tragedies and still celebrate Christmas dinner together with the whole family with hope and happiness, just like Joseph and Orlisha Ortega did. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. And I will end this on another quote from Letitia. Love is the most powerful energy. It is so strong. And when people come together with a lot of love, you can't really break that. That's heart melting. Yeah. That's so sweet. And that is the story of the Covina Christmas Massacre. Well... It's a fucking whirlwind ride, man. It's fucking nuts. Bruce and Pardo. Class A fucking douchebag. All that I hope for is that his final hours that he was adhered to the Santa suit... I hope that it hurt worse than anything imaginable. I feel like it wasn't enough. I hope that he drove to his brother's house in pain and agony and the radio didn't work. And he had to just drive in fucking silence, listening to his skin. Crunching. Crunching. Breaking. Yeah. Bleeding. Oh, I hope so. I wish. So that is the story. The Ortega family and those around it have really grown and it's just amazing to see that they are able to get over such a tragedy like it's a tragedy losing one person in your family let alone nine people who literally had no reason to die they were such a good warm-hearted family and like joseph and alicia ortega the the, the parents mm -hmm. had been married for 53 years and that was all of the years that they had together was 53 years. I read that Joseph met 
her when he was like 20 something and she was 17 in a city in Mexico and reportedly he looked at his sister and said I'm going to marry that girl oh that's sweet they married each other three weeks after dating and moved to the states and were married and lived their life had their fucking children raised their children with such great morals and values and just love they were just a great fucking family and then Bruce Pardo's fucking douchebag ass just ruined it it's very sad very sad very sad burrito today guys yeah this is a pretty bad burrito I would definitely take it back to the manager and complain about it (laughs) (laughs) same (laughs) and if you are also unsatisfied with today's burrito let us know Send us an email at thecreepyburrito at gmail.com and tell us how much of a fucking douchebag Bruce Pardo is. Yeah. Because we'd love to hear it because we really hate this guy. How would you rate his level of douchebaggery? Numbers one to ten. Number one, wrapping your own gift. That is a fucking flamethrower that you built yourself. Number two... Making a custom Santa suit. Number three, $17,000 strapped to your fucking legs because you're a douchebag. Uh, that's my top three out of the ten. So if you if you want to level yours off, send them to us. We'll talk about it. Or you can send us your beefy questions for our Facebook Live event, Getting to Know the Burrito. Check out our Facebook, our Instagram. We post funny memes, and we also um, post pictures of the cases that we talk about. I don't know if we've ever said that, but we do. Oh. (laughs) But we post some fire memes also. Uh, Well, we usually say that we uh, are going to post the pictures. Yeah, in passing. Mm, Good point. Just Um, check out our fucking socials. So if you guys want visual effects to go with your audio effects for the creepy burrito, check out our shit. If you want to add a little spice. And as always, we fucking love sweet ass reviews. So just do it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Shalabong. You can do so on iTunes, Stitcher, Podchaser, CastBox, or rate us on your streaming apps. That's a wrap. Until next week, come back. Get lost in that sauce with us. Same creepy jam. Same creepy channel. And fucking the holidays will be done. The Christmas holidays, the Hanukkah holidays, all the other holidays. Except for New Year's. I won't be done yet next week. No, New Year's is still to come. But that's all right. It's coming to an end. You know, it's good. It's fine. 2021 will be better, right, guys? Oh, fuck. Knock on wood. I just fucked it. I did. I just fucked it. You've heard it here first. (laughs) Shelby fucked up 2021. Well, on on that note. note. (laughs) Um, bye. And I'm sorry. (laughs) Bye,
Okay, you're right. I thought it was a different city. I'm getting... <laughs> what the fuck was that? I don't know. It's YouTube, man. All right. Fucking YouTube, <clears throat> man.